We're um, starting something brand new this morning. So if you are new and it's your first time, you've picked, well every Sunday is a good Sunday, but you've picked a really good one. Um, we're starting something called 20 Questions. And the reason we've done that is we kind of, in, in chatting, me and Carl, and praying about stuff, we felt that it would be helpful for us as a church to just have a few, uh, we've done acts since we launched, but to have a time of actually there being topical questions that will be helpful for you, whether you're a brand new Christian, whether you're not a Christian at all, or whether you've been a Christian a long time and maybe you've picked up a lot of kind of churchianity stuff as opposed to Christianity stuff. That's what happens a lot of the time. We kind of, our tradition kind of goes over the top of actually what the Bible says. And so we've got 20 questions that we think will be helpful uh, on a whole range of issues from uh, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? What is evil? That'll be a good one. That'll be a fun one. Uh, but today we're starting with what I think is probably the most important question of the lot. Now, we're not saying that 20 is the least important and number one is the most. They're not going to go in any kind of particular order. But actually, this one's really important and it's what is the gospel? And I just want to read a few verses to you from Corinthians. This is the Apostle Paul and he's writing to a church in chaos, a church that... Um, doesn't really know what its identity is, a church that is a bit confused and doesn't really understand or know what the main thing is. What's the most important thing in the life of the church? What should a church be doing? And so this is what he says at the start of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And what he's saying is, he, he could have said anything there, couldn't he? He's reminding the church in chaos, what is the most important thing? He could say anything. He could say, Jesus turned water into wine. He could say that Jesus walked this earth and he walked on water and he was doing miracles and he was healing the sick and he was delivering the dead. Or that he was born of a virgin. But he doesn't say any of that. Instead he says, what's first importance is the fact that Christ died and was raised again. And uh, that's what we're looking at this morning um, with, that's upside down, with uh, what is the gospel. And uh, as we go for the next 20 weeks here and there, there'll be bits in between where we, we go. But hopefully these questions will be really helpful for you. Everybody here, if I said, Chris and Nikki were talking about it, and they're just dropping it in, it's kind of commonplace jargon, if you like, in Christianity, isn't it? Gospel, that word. Saying, well, we're delivering the gospel to these young people. Well, what is that, actually? If we kind of rewind a little bit, and that's what this question's all about this morning, because you might, if you're a Christian, you'd have an idea. You might say, well, the gospel is Jesus' death and resurrection. Or you might say, because of other verses in Matthew where Jesus says this is the gospel, that it's healing the sick, that it's the dead being delivered, that it's the uh, dead being raised even, um, that it's the kingdom of God advancing. And in a sense, actually, you're both right. And it's just trying to understand what is the gospel this morning. Some of you won't have a clue, and that's okay as well. Um, and I want to just arm you this morning a little bit with, if you are kind of, you're wanting to witness to people, you're wanting to share your faith with people, the kind of must-haves, if you like. Um, things that we can't afford to leave out. 
actually if we're sharing faithfully what, it, what this good news is. Um, and I want to start by just going, it's going to be really quick, but it's looking at, and this is the thing to remember, God, man, Christ, and then response. And that's how I kind of try and think of the gospel, that it starts and finishes with God, then we have a bit of a role to play and we're involved in some way, shape or another. Christ comes on the scene and then we're all to respond to that in some way. And uh, this book that I've put on the floor, which I probably shouldn't have done, uh, the Bible is really important for understanding this question. Because I think that the gospel, often it becomes about us, but really it's about God. That uh, this good news and this book is actually God's story. A lot of the time, I don't know if you've heard this said, you might have even said it, I'm sure I've said it, that the Bible is a roadmap for life. That the Bible is a reference book that I can just pick and choose stuff out. I'm going to tell you now it's not. It has practical stuff in it that's helpful, but it's not a roadmap for life. Primarily, the Bible is a story about God. It's a story about God, but it's a story for you and me. That's how it works. Often, when we think of the Bible story and we think of the gospel, we think it's about us. But actually, fundamentally, it's about God. And because it's about good God, that makes it a good thing. You see, if it's about us, it's flawed and it's messed up and it's not that great. But if it's a story about God and what God is doing, and that God is the centrepiece of all history, not mankind, then that can only be a good thing. And uh, I'll explain a little bit about that in a moment. It might be easier for me to demonstrate that point with what the gospel is not, if you like, what the good news of Jesus isn't. Because when it's about us, it's not right. Take this for an example. People who teach the Bible, but it's just self-improvement, or it's just self-help, or it's just motivational jargon. It's all about you. It's not about God. And actually, when uh, life gets difficult, it all crumbles around your feet. Or think about, um, I was in Africa a couple of years ago, and uh, I had preached a good message, I think. And then this kind of imposter got up. He was an imposter from Dar es Salaam. And he just started talking about, God wants you to be uh, really rich. God wants you, that's a bad impression, because he was speaking in Swahili, so I don't know why I'm doing that. It, God just wants you to be rich and blessed and totally healthy. And it was all about health, wealth and prosperity. And saying, God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to prosper. And I was just sat there thinking, well actually, that message has all been about me. It's all been about me improving my life and being the best that I can be. And he's not really talking about God. He's kind of talking about God as some sort of divine vending machine that just vends health, that vends goodness, that just gives us gifts, and that's it. And there's these amazing verses in Romans 11, again Paul, and he says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counsellor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And this is the key bit. For from him, and through him, and to him are all things... To him be glory forever. And then Paul says, Amen. So everything is for him, through him, and to him. Which must include the good news. 
It must include this word gospel. I skipped over where we get this word gospel from. It's, it's a Greek word which is kind of, I can't pronounce it, but euangelion, which literally means good news. So what God is saying is, I have something that is good for you and it's a good tidings. You know, we can use this word today a little bit. If someone's born, it's good news. If someone gets married, it's good news. If someone has an awesome winning battle, back in that day, not so much today, but it's good news. And that's the context that we found it in the Bible. That was uh, what the good news and what the people were looking for. But actually, we read there in Romans 11 that all things are through and to and for God. And so, right from the start, I just want you to have that in the background, that this good news actually is about God, but it's for us. It's not about us, it's about him. And I think when we start with it being about us, we just get it wrong. And we go down tangents that are just not healthy for us because when life does get difficult, we've actually got no foundation because we're relying on ourselves being awesome instead of God being awesome. So that's who God is and that's worth having in the background. The thing is about this God is we're created as human beings to worship him. We're created as worshipful people. That's why I love to sing. I hope you love to sing as well. You're going to be singing for all eternity, which is really cool. But that's what we're created for, to worship God, to praise him, to exist for his glory and his praise, not for our own. But I'd be the first to say it doesn't always work out like that. You'd probably be the first to say that it doesn't always work out that way in your life. Though we're designed and created and made for it, we often find ourselves worshipping other things. And that's where man comes into it. And this is how we explain uh, man, because I think our wiring's kind of not connecting up really. If you read through the Bible story, right from the very beginning in Genesis 3, there's a problem. And that problem is you and me. The problem is not God. God is good, but the problem is you and me. We're created to worship and glorify him, but we choose to worship something other than him. That's what happened in the garden. That was the fundamental problem. It wasn't eating an apple or a grape or whatever the fruit might have been. The fundamental problem was choosing to worship something else and not worshipping God. And examples today could be these. Now, uh, sports fans, we hijack the worship of God and worship other things. Now, I love sport, but there are people, and you might know them, who will spend thousands of pounds to watch their team, who will travel the world to watch their team, who will every week religiously sort out their fantasy football team. Now, I always have good intentions to start my fantasy football team at the start of a season, but by mid-September, I've forgotten about it. But I'm going to take that as a good thing. <laughs> Because I'm not like there every week just making sure I've got Diego Costa as my captain. Or who are not a Liverpool player because they're pretty rubbish at the moment. But you'll see, you'll see sports fans and they go crazy for it. Or you go to a gig and you will see people completely lost in a, a euphoria, just in this amazing atmosphere, jumping up and down, sweating, hands in the air. They're going crazy. They're worshipping something. In a sense, aren't they? Now, sports and music are good things. I love football. I can't wait to be able to play again. I love music. I'm enjoying a bit of country music at the moment. Anybody else like a bit of country music? You're a bit surprised there, aren't you? You have me down as drum and bass. Country music. Absolutely love it. I love a bit of Nashville. It's fantastic. But these things can kind of get in the way. And if these things become our primary point of worship that our lives exist around, then we're worshipping something else other than God. I remember I was challenged once by, I was about 16, and this guy came up to me and said, Dan, all you ever talk about is football. 
all you ever talk about, even on a Sunday, it's football this, football that, I think you've got a problem. I think you like football a bit too much and you don't love God enough. And I thought, yeah, he's right. <laughs> it stung me, but you know, I'll be honest with you now, if Liverpool win, I'll watch match of a day. But if Liverpool lose, I won't. <laughs> there used to be a time that I would watch it regardless. I count that as good progress. <laughs> and so often I don't watch much of a day anymore. But this is actually the Bible's description of sin, the worship of something else. If I was to say to you, what is sin? Most of you would go, oh, it's living a bad life. It's stealing, it's murdering. It is those things, because they're not what God wants us to be doing. But primarily, it's the worship of something else. And you see, if, our pro if we're displaying the fall of man to people, and we're saying you need God to people because you're a thief, or because you're a terrible person, they'll turn around to you and say, well, I pay my taxes. I'm a good person. I love people. I give to charity. You see, if our classification of sin is just that, people don't get it. People don't get that they need saving. But if our classification of sin is that actually we're living lives that are meant to worship God, but we're worshipping something else, people get that. Because you'll be able to explain, well, actually, you can see this in your life here. We've gone rogue as a race, if you like. People will always morally compare themselves to Hitler and they'll always be better. So they don't need God. But what happens if our classification of what rejection of God is, is worship of something else? Actually, we're all without excuse, aren't we? We all kind of fall under that. Because the Bible talks about, it says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, every single one of us, from the youngest to the oldest. And we read, and this is the kind of bit that, you know, is not, not so nice to hear, actually. But this is the gospel, actually. In order to appreciate the good news, there's got to be some bad news, right? I kind of think, in order to appreciate the kindness and love of God, we have to appreciate the severity and the justice and the judgment and the hatred, actually, that God has on evil. He doesn't like it. He doesn't put up with it. He's not mates with it. Actually, his son had to die for it. That's how serious this is. And this punishment towards God is actually death, which might seem pretty heavy. But actually, if you consider we're designed to worship and glorify God and we just shove him off and we worship created things, it's idolatry, really, fundamentally. And actually, I kind of get it. That's where we are, actually. We take the good things that God gives us and we give God no thanks for it all. And we're just actually, if we're not a Christian here this morning, we're actually just left waiting. We need saving, ultimately, from death. Because people, that's, that's the way of talking about it a little bit, because people, like I said, are okay morally, mostly. And it sounds quite severe, but as I said, unless we understand the severity of the situation, there is a world out there facing death, eternally. Our, our town is facing it. Without any hope whatsoever. I can face it and I have hope because I know what comes next. But for most people, they don't have that. And it's tragic. And uh, we can appreciate the kindness of God in actually doing something about it. And that's the next stage really. You've got God who is awesome and great. Man who is worshipping something other than himself and letting himself down. And needing rescuing. And then you enter Christ. You read the whole of the Old Testament and it's building towards this moment. We think that Jesus just appears in uh, Matthew chapter 1 out of nowhere. But if you read the Old Testament, it's all pointing towards one day things will change. One day someone will come. One day God will rescue people. 
And then you read this in the opening book of Mark. It says this, the beginning of the gospel. So it's that word, good news. So the beginning of good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what the good news is. Jesus Christ, Son of God. And they're really important because, like Carl said last week, it's kind of not really disputed that Jesus was alive. Most historians will say, yeah, there was a bloke called Jesus who walked the earth in this place at this time. What people dispute is what he was doing and who he was. But Mark says here, here is Jesus, and the good news about Jesus is he is the Son of God. Therefore, he's not like us. If mankind as a whole race across the board are flawed and worshipping something else, do you think mankind can save and rescue us? It wasn't rhetorical. <laughs> we can't. We can't do anything to help ourselves out of our position. But the good news is that Jesus is the Son of God and so he's altogether different to us in one sense. Even though he comes as fully man and fully God and we'll kind of cover that a little bit in one of the other questions so I'm not going down there today. But it's good that, that Jesus was the Son of God. Luke 19 10, 10 says this, he says, The Son of Man, which is a title that Jesus used for himself, and this is the purpose for him coming, came to seek and to save the lost. That's what the bad news is, that we're lost, we're in need of saving, we're in need of rescuing. The good news is that you can be found. Or the good news is that maybe you already have been found. That's gospel, that's good news, that once you were far off, but now you're not. And I want to say this, I don't know, there might be people here, you might be here this morning, you're not a Christian. So I want to say this specifically to you. God, is not, Jesus particularly, is not looking for people who have their act together. He's looking for people that don't. He's looking for people whose lives are messed up. He's looking for people who are hurting. He's looking for people that are without hope. You know, if we're walking around this earth thinking, oh, life is brilliant, my life is complete, I have no need for God, I'm so righteous, I'm so wonderful. It's a bit like the Pharisees, really, in Jesus' day. And they missed the point. He's looking for people that don't have their act together. Looking for people that are broken, looking for people that are hurting and wants to offer them something more. Looking for people who know that they're not perfect. You know, if we're sat here this morning and we think we're all that, well, you can think that, but you're not, you know. Just as I'm not. In fact, none of us are. He didn't come, actually, for the... Well, he did, but the religious righteous. He comes for the people who are messed up and broken. So how does he come for those people? This judgment of God that uh, needs to take place, this death is still hanging over us, right? The punishment for sin is still there. It can't just be magicked away. If God is just and God is righteous, which he is, then he can't just pretend it didn't happen. He can't just spray a bit of Febreze on it and think, oh, it's okay. He can't do that. It wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be just. It wouldn't be like God. That's the kind of thing we would do. We just kind of cover up a bad smell and think that we're okay. But the whole of this Bible story is built into this uh, epic moment 2,000 years ago upon a cross where actually the kindness of God and the severity of God meet in one place. And what happens is Jesus comes, the uh, perfect, spotless Son of God, uh, lives a perfect, flawless life. The one person in all of history ever who doesn't actually deserve to die. The one person who, who there is no punishment upon. 
and he kind of stands in the breach in one sense. So I kind of like to think of it this way. Um, somebody's, you know, trying to shoot me for some reason. Why would you do that? I don't know. And Jesus throws himself in front of me and takes the bullet for me. Death is coming towards me. Death is going to hit me, but Jesus takes it for me. And I go off completely scot-free. I'm unscathed from it. And somebody has laid their... You see it in every movie, don't you? Somebody tries to lay down their life for someone else. That's what Jesus does for us. He lays down our life. And that's the kindness of God poured out for us. That God would love us so much that he'd give himself for us. That he so wants you to be in a relationship with him. He so wants you to uh, be able to be free from your change and chains and be able to worship him. That he lays down his life for him. That's the kindness of God. That's the love of God. But it's also the severity of God. Because Jesus dies a brutal death. And he dies it upon the cross to appease the Father. So that, that punishment, that judgment, falls upon him, not you and I. That's good news. That's good news for us, that this perfect Jesus' sacrifice pays the price in full for us. Pays the price for all our misdemeanours that have gone, but all our misdemeanours that are going to come as well. You know, in those moments where we're worshipping again the wrong thing, Christ has died for you. Christ has taken the bullet for you. Christ has taken the hit for you. So that we can go free. And he confirms it by, and we had this last week, the resurrection. The resurrection is the proof that Christ has defeated death. And you know what? If Christ has defeated death, then those that trust in him, those that he has died for and been raised to new life for, also go free from it. Which means we don't have to fear death anymore. It has no sting for us anymore. Jesus on the cross bridges that huge chasm that was between man and God. That's what he does. That's good news, right? We don't look like it's good news. I think it's, I think it's amazing news. I think it's the best news ever, actually, because I can be free. I'm no longer stuck in my old ways, but I've got a second chance. But it's really important, and it's really important that when we share this gospel message of God, man, Christ, that we don't just stop there. There is a response to be made. And I put it to you that Everybody responds to this message. All of you here this morning will respond to what I've said to you in one way, shape or form. You'll either believe it or you'll disbelieve it. You can't be impartial. You can't just go, yeah, oh no, yeah. We either believe it or we disbelieve it. And uh, over the Easter period, when everybody's talking about Jesus, or at Christmas, when everyone's thinking about Jesus, everybody's like, oh yeah, Jesus, he was a great guy, wore sandals, probably had a beard. He was morally great, he had some fantastic stories, he, he looked after the poor. Fantastic that they know that, but actually it's not enough to just know. You know, all the stuff that I've shared with you this morning, God, man, Christ, it's not enough to just know it. I think that's the trap that often in like evangelical churches that we fall for, that we think it's just enough to know it intellectually. Oh yeah, God did that. Yeah, great. Fantastic. And that's it. There's actually a response that has to be had on our part. Acts 16, uh, there's this amazing story, but basically uh, <laughs> there's an earthquake and a jail and Paul and Silas are kind of set free. And the jailer's a bit gobsmacked because he's like, well, how's this happened? How are you going free? God is clearly in this. And he falls at their knees, he comes to these two guys and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
What have I got to do? What have I got to do for my life to be changed? And Paul and Silas, they reply and they say, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. A couple of years ago, many of you will know this story already, maybe. I was out in Kenya and Tanzania for, uh, for about two weeks. And part of that, the Tanzanian bit was fantastic. Went like a dream. But the Kenyan bit was just a nightmare. Like, just... Problem after problem, issue after issue. And I was there to train pastors in Tanzania and Kenya. And uh, part of the trip in Kenya was we were to visit a slum. But as I said, our guide wasn't the most helpful at relaying information. Communication wasn't his strong suit. So we wind up in this slum uh, called Kibera in Nairobi. And it's one of the largest slums in East Africa. And uh, we're, meet, we're there to meet some pastors who are doing amazing work. They're like uh, sharing the gospel with all these people. They're helping give people jobs. They're looking after the sick. They're just being Jesus to their community. And they're doing amazing jobs. And we, we come out of our car and uh, the guy says to us, he says, oh, we need to do this really quickly. And I'm like, what do you mean really quickly? We don't do anything really quickly. We haven't done anything really quickly for the whole time we're in Kenya. Why all of a sudden are we doing something really quickly? And he rushes us out of the car and he's almost pushing me into this church building. And we're rushed through this building and there's some people and we're kind of told, you know, don't look at them, just go straight through. Rush straight through the church out the back door and then round and into this other room. And into this other room there's about four or five Kenyan blokes there. And then the door's locked behind us. And I'm like, what on earth is going on here? I've just been, I feel like I'm some sort of special forces guy. I feel like I'm the president of the USA and I've just been rushed in because there's a threat. And that's what starts going into my head. Why have I been rushed through? What is going on? And then um, this guy appears and he's the pastor and he's got this massive lump on his forehead. And he goes, oh yeah, just a few days ago, um, I was held up by gunpoint just outside here and mugged and pistol whipped in the head. You know, where you hit with a pistol. And just left for dead on the street. And I was like, oh, they do that to your own people, do they? And he was like, yeah, because you're white and you're a foreigner and you're an easy target, they're probably going to target you too. I thought, well, thank you for the advance notice. (laughs) You know, I'd have really appreciated knowing this because I wouldn't have come. (laughs) I'd have stayed in my hotel room. (laughs) And, you know, because we had bad communication, he didn't say, leave your camera in your hotel room. Leave all your belongings in your hotel room. You know, your passport, you can leave that in your hotel. You're not going to need it. So I've got all my gear. I've got all the money. I've got everything. I am a prime target for some crime. And I'm in the middle of this slum, which is two miles either way to get out. And I'm thinking, right, okay, I'm going into Jack Bauer mode. I'm going into 24 mode of how can I escape from this with my life? Do I need to get on the roof and call for evac? Do I need to run back the way that I've come? And I thought, it's utterly helpless. Actually, I'm not going to get out alive. And I actually thought, I told Grace this the other day, I actually thought this was going to be my time. I thought I'm going to die here. I thought they're going to be, because they were all panicking, these pastors, because they thought all it takes is one person to have seen you and they'll have the boys on the phone with their AKs round to hold you up and do whatever it is to you. And I thought, I'm going to die here. And in that moment I thought, what do I need to know? What do these guys that I'm with, what is it that they need to know that their eternal destiny has changed? And it's the gospel. It's the good news. And that's what it boils down to. People have to respond. It wouldn't have been good enough for me to have just known a whole load of stuff in that situation. I needed to have encountered God in a real way. I needed to have met him and had my life changed by him. The response was to this jailer and the response to me would have been believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
is by literally not just knowing it, but believing it. Believing that God is good. Believing that man has fallen. Believing that Christ came for you and was the Son of God and died for you and more than that was raised for you died for your sins so that you can go free and the difference it makes because we believe in heaven and hell here at this church the difference it makes is it changes your hell into heaven it changes your eternal destiny and it will change the eternal destiny of your friends and your family and your neighbours and the people of Chesterfield by believing in his name We have a personal God who wants to have a personal relationship with us. He wants us to physically encounter him in a real and tangible way. I don't know, maybe some of you have, maybe some of you haven't, but he wants to meet with you. He wants you to know deep in here that he walks with you. It's not just up here, it's not just head exercise and intellectual academic stuff. It's a personal invitation to follow Christ. It's a genuine meeting with him. This is some verses, and this is what Jesus would say today. If Jesus was here, and Jesus returned in this moment, and was saying and was offering uh, the good news, this is what he'd say, I believe. Because he says it in Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all who, who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what Christ would say this morning. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. All of us are labouring, all of us are struggling through life, and Christ says, come to me. It's a personal invitation to every single one of us this morning that says, come. And that's how we paint it to other people when we're sharing, well, what is the gospel, what is this good news? It's a personal invitation. It's not just a blanket email. It's not shouting at people in the street. It's a personal invitation. That's why I don't think. It does work from time to time by God's grace. But generally, it's personal invitation. Christ was personal with people. Christ was real with people. Christ got into the nitty gritty of their lives. And this is the good news. This is why it's not about us, but it's for us. Do you see that now? It's about Christ. It's about God. But it is for you. Jesus says, come to me today. And this believing also carries something else. We have to repent of our sin. We have to turn around. The Bible always paints it as response as faith and repentance. Two separate things, but they go together. If you have just faith, but you're not repentant, ah. Uh-uh. If you just have repentance, but you've got no faith, the Bible always paints it as together that we come in faith and repentance. And repentance just means recognising that Jesus has laid down his life for us on the cross recognising that he's died because of us and for us and recognising that because of it if we repent of our sin if we say God I'm sorry for what I've done for my false worship of other things and I want to worship you we're saved you see the gospel is both complex in in lots of ways but it's also really simple that's all that there is to it that we would come to him and say, yeah, I believe in who you are and what you've done and I repent of my ways and I turn my life around and I find rest in Christ. You see, if this morning you're not a Christian but today you say, I trust in Jesus to save me from my sin, your life will be changed forever. You know, last week Carly gave an amazing testimony of how actually her life, has your life been changed forever? Yeah, totally. Her life's been changed forever. Praise God. 
You know, when I met Jesus, my life was changed forever. Aren't you keen, church, to see more stories like Carly's? More instances of God breaking in and changing people's lives. Do you know how he does that? The gospel. He doesn't do it with us just being nice and lovely and friendly and happy and bouncing around and life's great. That's brilliant and we should do that. We should be bouncing happy and because we're God's people. But he changes lives by the gospel. By that death and resurrection. That's what changes lives. That's what changed my life and that's what I hope will change your life if you're trusting him. But you have to believe him and you have to repent. It's no good just saying I go to church. It's no good just saying I believe it. We've got to repent. We've got to turn around our way. It's not just good enough saying, I know God. Because you probably don't if you haven't believed and repented. Have you met Jesus? If you've met him, crack him. If you haven't, let's meet him today. Because he wants to meet you today. He wants to meet you today. And because of that, death should no longer be feared. I like to think of death as the gateway to everlasting life. You know, my life will get even better when I die. Because I'll be with Jesus for all eternity. And that's the promise. That's the promise of the most famous verses in Scripture, isn't it? All who believe in him, they'll have everlasting life. All who repent of their sin and turn, they'll have everlasting life. That's the promise that's given that where there's hopelessness, we have hope now. Where we're just aimlessly walking through life, we have purpose. That's what's on offer, that's what the good news is, and that's what we take to people. But if we miss out God, or we miss out man, or we miss out Christ, or we miss out a response, we haven't given them the gospel. It's really important that it's all there. Because people are basing their understanding of the good news on where they're going to spend all eternity. And this isn't an easy thing for me to say, but I think our churches are going to be full of people that haven't actually received the gospel up and down our nation because people aren't getting real that's the sad thing isn't it because people are abusing I think the proclamation of teaching people aren't being saved people's lives aren't being transformed that's why when we're going through these 20 questions that's why as a church as we're going forward it's always about the gospel it's always about how God can break in and change lives it's always about how there are people that are far off that can be saved And that's what we have to think of all the time. And when people are brought in, it's then, okay, how am I going to go on? How am I going to keep praising Jesus? How am I going to keep worshipping him? And we do that by repenting daily. We do that by believing in him daily. You know, the first time I became a Christian, it wasn't just a one-off thing and then I haven't repented since. You know, every day I'm standing before God saying, God, you know, I need your help. I need your guidance. I need your grace because I just mess up and left to my own devices, I'm a wreck. And that's why God sends his spirit and he gives us new life and he puts a massive smile on our face, Carly, eh? The Cheshire Cat, yeah, exactly. That's why God does it, so that we can know him and make him known to the world. So it's God, man, Christ's response. That's how we share it. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what we're taking. That's what we take from here today. Next time you want to share the good news with someone, share that. 
Maybe flick to Romans 10.9, because I could have just said that, really, and just left it, couldn't I? Wouldn't have looked great on the internet, though, I suppose. So here's the question, the million-dollar question. Do you want another chance in life? Do you want that everlasting rest that Jesus offers? Do you want God? If the answer is yes, it's if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what is the gospel? It's that.